Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 96. I'm joined as always with my two co-hosts, Edwin of Kerwin's Game Store and Jim Casali of Modern Nexus. Travis Allen will be on later when he is done running errands. This podcast as always is sponsored by GatheringMagic.com, the number one place to read up on the latest magic content. You can also go to CoolStuffInc.com, our other sponsor, for a sweet 25% buy list bonus, as well as free shipping on orders of $100 or more. With basically everything from every set, CoolStuffInc.com is a store for your Magic the Gathering needs. How are you guys doing? Good. I'm fine. All right. Well, Ed, would you like to start off the cast? What Man, <laughs> is that? Is the worst segue <laughs> I've ever heard in my entire life. You I'm, might go down in the history. I'm pretty sure the worst segue was the one that uh, that had the CEO of Segway go off the cliff. Yeah, you might have like gone on it after him. I was, like I was years late. I was letting Ed gloat. And then he uh, he didn't take the bait. Ed, do you want to but talk about not what you said. You said, Ed, do you want to start the podcast? Yeah, Ed, do you want to which start is, the podcast? Which, which is a nonsensical statement because we've already started the podcast. Have we, though? Yeah, we did. Because specifically you said, welcome to the podcast. Ed? Uh, this is episode 96. Welcome back, all. It's uh good to have you guys as an audience as always. Uh, I will say Jeremy things since Jeremy apparently just has given up on saying Jeremy things, so I'm saying Jeremy things now. Um, so for context, I was right. Anyone who bought Lyra Dawnbringer last week probably did pretty well for themselves. Kind of uh, coming off of um the heels of uh standards past weekend. Uh, showed him play decks, lots of blue-white shells, either just being straight blue-white control or, like, blue-white approach. Uh, I think there was, like, on stream, so that there was, like, a blue-white historic deck. I'm not really sure what the deal with that there is. Um, but I think that deck's a flash in the pan. Is that a pun? I missed that on? I, I, I can always assume that was a pun. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I think it, it played that uncommon one. Was it the one that lets you play historic spells? Raph. Raph. I, I think that was in there. I, I wasn't completely sure. That was kind of the one of the matches I uh, wasn't paying too close attention to. But uh, history does repeat itself. Baneslayer Angel was good back in 2010. Today, 2018, it's still pretty good. Uh, you people should listen to me more. Other than that, I don't really have much else to say. I just wanted to get my brags in. All right. Uh, Dominaria is sold out pretty much everywhere. They announced today that it is the biggest pre-release size that they've ever had for any set, which is pretty cool. Um, and we have two $25 plus Mythics in the same standard set, which is as soon as the second wave comes in, they're going to crater. But for now, the EV of Dominaria is around Three. 70 Yeah, it's around $70 TCG low right now. Um. But I think like mid is around ninety to a hundred, which is fine. So do with that what you want. It uh, it seems pretty good if I were you. We're also joined by notable co-host Travis Allen of MTG Fast Finance and MTGPrice.com, and he has a swell hat on this week. How are you doing, Travis? 
Hello, I'm just back from the gym. You all get to enjoy my Half-Life 2 hat because my hair is a mess. He's dressed like a normal person. Yeah. I was playing racquetball. I can't do that in a collared shirt. <laughs> you uh, could. If there's a way that it could be done, you would find it. Travis, is there anything that you want to add about Dominaria and this weekend and the cards that spiked or anything that you were right or wrong about? Right about everything, wrong about nothing. Um, Karin looks like the real deal. I mean, he was pretty popular in Standard. We saw him breaking the Legacy. I haven't seen him anywhere in Modern yet, but uh, time will tell. I mean, Legacy Colorless Eldrazi was running Karn, which means he might be positioned for Modern Eldrazi as well. <clears throat> so I think that card is worth keeping an eye on. Even at $35, that might be a buy. I mean, not like the spec on, but like a, I need a play set. You might want to think about it now. Yeah, I believe they're 39 low right now as well. So I think it's 40-something mid. Card ju- the card just continues to go up. Um, I feel like this level of dominance, though, is, like, almost bad. Like, if it doesn't... If people don't stop playing so many of them, is this, like, a card that could get banned? No, it's week one. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not saying right now, but, like, in order to keep up this price tag, it'd have to be about the same level of play for an extended period of time. Right now... It seems to be very good, which is what I, I, I expected it to be good, but like I didn't expect it to be that like this good. Like it looks like it's too good even against aggressive decks is where it should be bad. I don't think Travis has anything to add. Oh, was that directed at me personally? I, I was just saying to the cast in general, I don't I I don't know if you necessarily needed to answer, but you could if you'd like to. I talk, talking about whether a card should be banned on day one as standard. No, no, no. Like, if it's something to to watch in the future, if Karn continues to be a very dominant force for, let's say, the next four weeks or the next four tournaments, what time do you start thinking like maybe this is a card we should be worried about getting banned? Uh <clears throat> I will be. <laughs> As politely as I can put it, it is this is an extremely uh, not immature um, juvenile. No, too early. Loquacious. Too early. Uh, shit. What is that word? It the, when it ha- when something happens too early. Premature. Too early. Premature. This is. A very premature conversation. In any case, his price is predicated not just on standard play, right? It's because he showed up in Legacy and people are excited for him in Modern, too. It's not like he, he didn't dominate standard. He just showed up. He was just there so he didn't get fined. Um, I think we'll see what happens in GP Dallas-Fort Worth, which is a question format because I actually have no idea what format that GP is. Limited. It's limited. All right. Well, for anyone who's listening that is going to GP Dallas-Fort Worth, both Ed and I will be on site at some point on one of the days. Uh, We already had people message us about it, so we know that there's at least three cartel listeners down there. Uh, If you catch this in time, unlike the listener who was in Australia and didn't realize Ed was there, feel free to say hi. Uh, Ed and I are pretty tall people, and I'm bald, so it's pretty easy to find us. So... 
we will happily sign your foil cartel aristocrats like we did in Vegas. It's uh, it's great being a C minus magic celebrity, right, Ed? Something like that. So, Ed, why are you going to Dallas? What's the point? Uh, it's pretty cheap from New York City. Um, I just have a lot of stuff I need to kind of get rid of. I'm just getting rid of stuff in my room, stuff that's been laying around. I have this many soul rings for Jeremy, in case anyone was watching. Uh, I just need to downsize. Stuff has been accumulating. This is just kind of my quarterly, semi-annually, annual purge, what have you. But um, you can also justify it because the prices of everything are going crazy, and it's yep. maybe a good time to sell, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think like there's no shame in moving a lot of stuff. Uh, I think like people who have uh, reserveless foil, uh, foils, reserveless cards. I think this might be a good time to kind of move out on some of the ones that people aren't actively playing, especially since some of the reserveless uh, cards, uh, the prices don't necessarily reflect how good they are. I think um, there's definitely a subset of reserveless cards that kind of fall into the expensive because reserveless rather than expensive because good uh category um i'm probably looking to move some masterpieces as well um just writing just writing the high on them i don't see a need to hold on to as many as i have so i can definitely afford to get rid of some of them um also probably a good time to start picking up dominaria cards i think once the wave hits limited grand prix have traditionally been very good for uh picking um picking up standard cards usually because there's such a huge influx of them um especially for dominaria especially since people just be selling back their stuff uh you can always pick bulk out as well uh i know that's usually a, a doug specialty but uh the best selling card in dominaria is actually a common um it's that's that right yeah i was we, gonna let we, i was gonna let the people who don't work in stores try and take a stab we at sold it, 185 rats wouldn't this the most weekend. commonly sold card of any set typically be a common? Uh, uh, no. No, that's rarely the case. For the master sets, it's usually like kind of a cheaper tier uncommon that does well. Uh, like Path to Exile was like one of the best sellers for a very long time. Um, Swords to Plowshares out of M25 at a dollar. Like we just but, couldn't keep yeah. those in stock. Expansion sets. Uh it could still be an uncommon. For Oath of the Gatewatch, I think our number one seller was Reality Smasher. <laughs> well, <clears throat> did anyone <laughs> else buy cards from that? Did anyone buy any other cards from that set? Yeah, there's like some commander stuff, but that was pretty much it. I mean, there's the other Eldrazi that also go on the same deck as that. Um, yeah, and there's some commander stuff, but that's pretty much it. I mentioned it before, but uh, I'm pretty sure I have. Galtha was, prior to Rivals of Ixalan coming out, the best uh, selling card in Ixalan, period. Um, and I mentioned, I believe, uh, at some point, I think when a few weeks ago when I had picked uh, the the Naya Mythic Dinosaur, whatever it's, I can't, its name keeps evading me for some reason. It's not Galtha, it's just Gishath. whatever it is. Gishath? Or Zakama? There's two Zakama's Naya. a Jund one. No, they're both Naya. Oh. I should probably know what the cards I sell do. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah, they're both yeah. Naya. One of them's a 9-9, nine nine, one of them's a 7-6. Uh, yeah, Zakama is, I think, uh, the Rivals one. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, regardless, like, Galta has seen some play this weekend. It's actually, like, ticking up. 
Um, I think it's like starting to find its home. Like there are some like mono green stompy decks that look very good with uh, Ronus's monument to pump creatures. You can do some pretty silly things with like green belt rampager that were on stream for people who are watching. Uh, it's definitely crept up. Like uh, it's one of the better uh, brawl decks. If you if you look at uh, MTG Goldfish, Golf is just kind of like there's a limited amount of data, so it's hard to get concrete numbers. But Golf is just kind of like jumped around towards the top of the standings. Um, it's just a very, like, big, dumb, casual card, for lack of a better way to describe it. Um, but that, that that did very well for Ixlon. Beyond that, I actually don't remember what the best sellers for Amonkhet and uh, Hour of Devastation were, to be honest. I think Hour of Devastation might have been a braid. I think it was no secret out of the gate that that card was pretty busted. Um, but... The takeaway from this is if you kind of want to stay ahead of the curve, you can see what does well on TCG player. If you sort by best-selling from a set, it'll actually just... I'm actually not sure what the algorithm for figuring it out is. I can only assume it's the number of cards ordered. But you could generally have a pretty good idea of like what does well, especially for the smaller commons, uncommons. You can kind of figure out which ones of those you can pull out bulk early on. If you just kind of sort by best-selling and just see what's like on the top like two pages or so. Do you know what the best-selling card of Rivals of Ixalan is right now? Uh, it is a rare. It is not a common. Daylight Ranger? No. Nope. Daredevil? Daredevil? Nope. Think uh, Slimefoot. Nope. It's no clue. It's, it's Tender Shoot Dryad, which is the thing that makes Sapperling tokens every turn, and it it's, gives it's, them all. It's, yeah, it's a mini Verdict Force. I mean, it costs like two less mana and it pumps all your guys. So I think it's more than that. I've noticed a lot of the random Sapperlings have gone up. Um, Nomada Grove Guardian, I believe, is from Plane Shift. It also pumps all your Sapperlings and is like $8 now or something stupid. Yep. But getting back to Ed's point, I really like getting out of all the stupid $20 reserve list cards right now. Like, they could go up, but like Winding Canyons and all that stuff is appreciated pretty fast. If you look at Winding Canyons graph on MTG stocks or like any price tracking website, it's gone up like 40, 30 to 40% in the last two months. And like, that's fine to just lock in your gains and then put that money elsewhere. So I like where Ed's head is at as far as um, just uh, flying to a GP, buy a stinger, otherwise moving a bunch of cards that he, he's profited on and then not looking back. Um, so it's a good, it's a good idea. Texas has always been like very, very good for vendors as well. Um, it's been six months or no, what we're in May now, like four ish months since there's been a Texas Grand Prix. Yeah. There was one in Houston. Yeah. And given how big that, given how big the state of Texas is, um, they don't have a lot of events. So cards tend to accumulate pretty quickly, especially since, uh, Houston, Austin, Dallas, and, is there another big Texas city? My geography sucks. But, like, those are huge metropolitan areas. <laughs> uh, that's basically Dallas. Uh, those are just, like, huge areas. There's always a lot of people. There's not a lot of vendors this weekend. Seven. So that kind of... Seven. So that makes me a little worried about how aggressive uh, buy list prices will be. Especially since some of the whales aren't there. But um, Dallas shows have, like, just traditionally been very good. Uh Lots of lots of uh, very cool people from Texas I've met in the past, so I'm not too unhappy about going back. Other than the airport, the airport sucks. Airport's great, but um, 
yeah, the cool thing is the whales that aren't going to Dallas, if you're an international listener of ours, the whales that are not going to Dallas are going to be at GP Birmingham next weekend. So we're going to see a lot of uh, high rollers there. And if you're going to be at GP Birmingham, I will also be there. And you should say hi. I don't think we have any listeners from the UK. We do have some Dutch listeners that are flying into that, but that's about it. Uh, but obviously this isn't cartel Grand Prix talk for like an hour because that gets a little boring after a while. Travis, is there anything going on in the finance world not related to international traveling and giant vendor booths? Uh, well, <clears throat> the reserve list has been under pretty heavy assault lately <clears throat> for what feels like the seventh or eighth time. I'm sure people are noticing that. Uh, have you guys sold any Mox Diamonds since it spiked again? What are you getting for it? We got five, $500 for six from the vault Mox Diamonds and then $280 on 12 copies of Stronghold Mox Diamond. Is that each? Each. Say 500 for the FTV ones? Yeah, they were up to 900 at one point on TCG. People paying that? Yep. I'm like, I don't like to talk about bad beat stories, but I definitely sold a Mox Diamond probably in the last three years for like $35, and I feel real bad. It was $50 last year. Or FTV one, I think. Oh, yeah. Normal ones were $50 last year. So. I don't think I sold a card three years ago counts for bad beats. Three weeks, I'll give you. Yeah. I mean, it's something that like I see a lot of people like, try to get empathy from it's like oh i sold the card before it went up oh that sucks but like generally speaking it doesn't matter that much and i'm i'm just a victim of it i guess as well i don't i don't really even know if victim is really a good way to put it but you know it feels bad I spent man 30 dollars on a like piece of cardboard and boohoo i i had the money to spend 30 dollars that someone has to work four hours to make to buy a piece talk, of cardboard. You want to talk about how much I sold a nearly complete Legends collection for like five or six years ago? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Same. Literally last year. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because if I, if, like, for our listeners, I would start liquidating some of your spike cards and then wait for December again. Because if you remember, I was pretty doom and gloom in December and prices were falling like crazy. And there's just been an insane ROI in the last five months. So why not lock in your gains and either reinvest that money into magic or look to put it somewhere else. Um, just based on like talk on quiet speculations, discord servers, like everyone's just doing an insane amount of sales online. Cause every everyone's just doing buy, buy, buy. And either the next wave of MTG finance reserve list, people are going to buy these cards and they will have weak hands and they'll try to sell them before the end of the year. Or, you know, things come up and like we have holidays and stuff and people won't be buying magic cards the entire year as much as they are right now in tax return season. So it's just something to keep in mind that like if you can lock in a profit and if you're not actively playing with the card or want to use it for something and it's just been sitting in your binder and you're not using the reserve list as like a long-term strategy, there's nothing wrong with locking in short-term gains, gains at the moment and waiting for a better chance to reinvest your money. So that, that's what I would. That's what I am doing right now, and that's what I think Ed is also doing because of the masterpiece spikes specifically. Don't be greedy. Yep. Don't be greedy. I think Ed. it's important. I think it's important to note. Like I had mentioned, like uh, people asked, like 
people ask me and I might actually retweet it because it's one of my tweets actually aged well for once. Um, I, I, I mentioned, I think I mentioned it back in like October or something. I said like something along the lines of if you're willing to be a little bit patient with your money, you can really get a lot of spending power with it. It, it was something to that effect. I don't remember the exact uh, wording on it, but like, I think it's like a lot of people who had bought in, you know, during the holiday season, during quarter one of this year, they're really, really starting to get uh, rewarded for it. Um, a lot of things that have been happening, uh, people can attribute attribute it to like FOMO, which people need to stop saying because nothing irritates me more than when people use that word, um, especially in the incorrect context. Um, well, but not, so I, I think stop FOMOing so. me. Yeah. yeah, using it as a verb is probably just like the most egregious assault on the English language. FOMO, I'm calling FOMO quite, right now. That we've had in quite some time. September 22nd of 2017. MTG Finance Pro Tip. Save your bankroll now. Your money will have a lot of spending power in the coming months if you are patient. Um, Was it that one? Yeah, that one. Probably. Um, I he think... told me he got the idea for that tweet for me. I seem to recall him mentioning. What? Yeah, didn't, um, I, didn't I tell you... Thought, don't lose like, it. Oh, am I going to tweet that? I feel like I told you to tweet that. Did you? I don't remember, to be honest. Um, I think a lot of concerns with the reserve list, since we're kind of on that topic, uh, we probably don't need to go in super detail. Um, people are starting to buy it out, yes, but I think there's just kind of a... A natural demand it is somewhat accelerated obviously because i think people are starting to buy more than they would have but it's pushing up the timeline i think people are starting to realize that if they need last pieces to complete their deck it's probably better to do so now than ever um which i i so, i really want to be careful about how i wore this mainly because i don't necessarily want to buy out this. Uh, I, I don't necessarily want to feel this because i feel like people are just going to complete take this out of context, but I mentioned, like, I think last week, the price index for cards are just going up across the board. Uh, Modern has definitely seen, like, one of the strongest price indexes we have seen in, like, maybe, like, three years at this point now. Um, so, and if that goes up, that will just naturally bump the legacy index up, which will probably just bump the vintage index up. I'm surprised that these cards are getting expensive as they are, and duels haven't seen a huge increase. Um, I'm waiting for power still. And, and by extension, power should be increasing as well. Um, the demand doesn't necessarily have to be there, but supply just naturally dictates that, you know, these cards really are not available in large quantities. Like, if I wanted to go out and buy, like, you know, for example, uh, I'll use an example that came up earlier today, a beta time twister. Um I was trying to find uh, someone was wanting to buy one. I messaged him. We talked about it for a little bit. I was trying to find a reasonable price. If you look, there's not really a lot of data out there for a beta time twister that's just available. I'm sure if I wanted to put like a want to buy post, I'll get people messaging me. But out of the places I looked, there are three on TCG player, three on MKM, one of which is altered. There are none on Haruya, none on Star City, none on Channel Fireball, none on Card Kingdom. Um, I guess it has like two graded ones, but that's it. What does? I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure ABU has some graded ones. 
Okay, sure. So two grade ones. That, I mean, that's that's a thing to consider. Uh, I'll do like a mini thought experiment. If someone listens to this cast and reminds me, I'll go around the room and count the number of beta time twisters that are, that are on sale. Oh, at Dallas. But, yeah, in, in Dallas. I'll remind, I'll remind you. Okay, like just it's just a fun thought experiment, right? Like realistically, I would be surprised if the number in the room was more than like five. Yep. To be perfectly honest, um, and all that together, that's like maybe twenty. And given how many people worldwide like play Magic, granted the scale of people who are able to afford and want a beta time twister is very small. But like I said, it, if I want one right now, it's not going to be that easy to find one. Um, and always you can scale it down. Like, would I be happy with unlimited time twister? Sure. Like, do people need like beta underground seas, un- unlimited underground seas to play Legacy? Absolutely not. But even. If if you kind of go around GP and look, try and look for something like, oh, I want the last underground C to you know for my legacy deck, for example, finding one that's reasonable priced is probably not going to be the easiest thing. Most of the cheaper ones get snapped up, and you're left with ones that have like damage, like bends are probably overpriced. Uh, it, it's really it's really not that hard to find these cards and. Um, again, I don't want to cause like unnecessary panic, but I've noticed like a lot of people who have been messaging me have been trying to finish these last cards just to round out their decks because I think people are trying to reallocate their funds as it were, especially if they're trying to play on a budget, getting some of these cards now rather than later. And you can attribute that to like so many different things, but the demand is definitely there. Some of these cards, like obviously their buyouts, like preacher, that card is decidedly terrible. Um, but just your standard playable stuff, like it's no surprise that Tabernacle took this long to get this expensive. I was I was honestly expecting it to kind of see a more steady increase rather than kind of just these incremental jumps. But I think like a lot of these price points, they might not necessarily be here to stay. But you're definitely not getting like you're never pro- you're never gonna see twelve hundred or fifteen hundred dollar Tabernacles again. And I would assume probably in like six to nine months, we might be saying like, oh, we're never going to see $400 underground seas again. Um, I don't think we're far off from that point. Um, I just want to add one anecdotal piece of evidence before we move on to our uh, question of the week. Credit winner of the week. Um, anecdotally, I've had seven old school players message me this week and they said, I didn't really, and like they don't know each other. It's all just either through Twitter or through Facebook. And they were all like, my question's worth how much I'm just getting out because for example, one of the guys bought into old school in December for two K and his collection is worth about 13,000 on TCG right now. And he was just like, I wanted to play old school, but like the buyouts are just making it so that I want to pay off like whatever, or like one of the guys wants to build a patio. Um, And it's just interesting to see how some of the old school players are reacting to either not being able to complete like their sets of old school uh, versus like the diehard collector that doesn't really care what it's going for. As long as it's in good condition, they're going to pay like Ed knows these people too. Like, like, all right, if it's near mint, like, I don't care what you're going to charge. I'm just buying it. Um, but a lot of these people that played and started in revised that like their dream was to own a beta deck. They almost got there, the price spiked. And then they just said, well, I've already quote unquote made so much money that I'm going to sell. And I don't know what's going to happen to old school prices towards the end of the year, but it's interesting to see, especially this week with all the reserve list buyouts, people just be like, yeah, like this is free money. I'm getting out and reintroducing supply back into the market to help uh, tamper those price spikes. If that makes sense. Nothing I ever say makes sense. So it's, 
it's just interesting because I a lot of my customers are old school based or casual based versus like competitive standard players. And even just looking at something as silly as like uh, like it's kind of old news at this point. Like when they first announced like you know Lotto War Elves is being reprinted as set, right? Good luck finding like an Alpha or Beta Lotto War Elves. They're just gone everywhere. They yeah. uh, like understandably went up, but even lots of newer players who you know they you know they probably weren't playing magic when the old card face was around uh you know much less like kind of the earlier stages modern like you know there's people who want these cards because like the old beta cards are very cool um uh, it's very different you know there's a good reason why you know a lot of people still play like beta basics for example we had this conversation on our facebook thread earlier this week you know i was trying to move some beta basics i actually want more beta basics because that's i'm kind of at the point where that's basically all i want to play now despite the fact that you know like if anyone had noticed, like Guru Lands are gone from TCG Player. Uh, was Bologna this get them in Bologna this past weekend. They had actually pushed the buy list of uh, Guru Island up to six hundred euros for near mint ones. Six hundred euros converts to uh, seven seven fifteen seven fifteen. Yeah. Uh, and these were cards that were available, like you know, at the beginning of this year for like three hundred. Three hundred would get you like an LP one four hundred if you put. If you said I was offering four hundred dollars on a Guru Island, you would probably buy every single one that you know people were willing to get rid of at that point. And now the buy list on is six hundred euros. That's almost double. Um, so, uh, but my original point was like a lot of these old school cards, right? Like people still like the old, uh, you know, Alpha Beta Counterspell, despite the fact that it's gone through so many iterations of, you know, masterpieces, reprints, seventh edition foils, arena foils, etc. People like legitimately like these old cards and um it's no surprise that a lot of people who've had them for a long time probably are, like find cashing out on them especially like you know you know a lot of wilds i think someone had messaged me i think is actually sig who had messaged me at the beginning of this year i think we had like an mp alpha long for like seven dollars online um and now like i think beta ones are like what 80 90 you, you or can get 150 for an mp alpha lanor alpha right now yeah so and it was definitely sick because he was trying to buy a bunch of alpha cards as like a position and it's been paying off pretty well for him. Right. Um, so, and then, yeah, it's just interesting. We don't have to spend too much time on this because very few people own these cards, but the people that do either have a lot of money to throw away on the game or they, they invested at the right time. Yeah. If you do, uh, if you do watch some of the Facebook groups, I've noticed that like people have like slowly started putting like, like a lot of these spike cards on, obviously they're trying to get the most out of the spike cards, but if you just kind of hold out, like, I'm sure they're in like the coming weeks. We'll see as kind of more people get on top of the market trends. We'll see just people slowly moving out of their cards that, you right. know, do, do they necessarily need like, you know, $150 lot of else when you can, you know, get, you know, whatever out there, like there's infinite variations when you can, you know, be fine with, you know, two cents, a new one or whatever. The, I mean, the big one, right? The foil beta art one for yeah, way less money than I was that. just about to say that, Jim. So I have a stack of 20 beta foil or whatever that's called. The arena promo, I believe they called it. No, it's an yeah. FNM promo. It's a really old FNM promo. All right, one sec. I have a stack of these on my desk because someone sold me a set of Alpha Lanamar Elves. Yeah, these ones? Yeah. Foils? Yeah. Um. But the demand for those has been insane, so I actually listed all of them on TCG and I sold out instantly. 
And I have like three of those and I was waiting for another cheap one to pop up to finish my set and so much for that. Oh, I can go get another one if you need me to. I mean, It'll, what's the price on them? Like $300? No, you can get an MP one for 30 and then I, we've been selling LPs for 40 to 50 lately. That's well, not too bad. I think all mine are near mint, but... All right. Well, well, what I'm trying to say is like, you can still get that same art if you like the art and you can get a foil one for less money than an alpha or beta one, which yeah. is kind of insane. All right. Well, speaking of all this expensive cardboard, this brings us to an excellent credit winner question of the week. Jim, would you like to proceed? Sure. So our credit winner this week is Alvin Ng. And Alvin asks, what card or cards do you think are the biggest traps, so to speak, um, that you see people are buying right now? So I think if you're buying cards in Dominaria, like the expensive cards in Dominaria, hoping they're going to go up higher than they are right now, I think that that's just a trap. Like, Last week, there was some there was some leeway in like what you could purchase. Even the most expensive cards had some room to go up. But I think at this point, it's like you can't expect a lot more out of like Karn Teferi or Lyra. I think those are the cards that, I, or, or even Mox Amber at this point. Like that card didn't show up at all this weekend. The decks that played it didn't just were not good. Um, those all feel like a trap to me. I think uh, the cards that kind of fell into my category of reserveless cards that are expensive because reserveless cards are kind of traps. Um, like, I, I think it's, I, I think we're at the point where people are no longer making smart decisions. People are just trying to like follow the herd, right? People couldn't, people can't afford to be buying what was one of the first ones. People could afford to buy out like Mox Diamond, for example. So they started buying out like these lower tier cards. It just feels like, each day, I'm just looking at like a more, a more and more idiotic buyout. Um, like I like you so know like why, why the sanctums and uh, Tolerian academies. Those are more reasonable. I think there's a lot more demand for those. The demand, I think, naturally over time. I'm surprised that a lot of these cards that they see a spike. I think to me that kind of suggests that their price should be a near increase rather than this exponential increase. I think it's just happening a very short amount of time. Um, but like a Lauren, like why is a Lauren expensive? Like Tempest wasn't a particularly rare set. It's, you know, relatively speaking only 20 years old at this point compared to, you know, like one, like beyond that point, each, each set is getting not like slightly more rare, but getting much more rare, like going from 97 to like 96, 96, 95, we're looking like exponentially fewer cards. Um, the earlier it gets at that point. Whereas like beyond that point, we're looking at like a relatively like steady increase in magic supply. Um, but like it, like obviously I understand like, Hey, there's a legacy deck for a Lorne, but I think people are like, are just, people are just out of their minds. If they think like, you know, a $50 price tag for a Lorne is reasonable. Um, so I like, I, and like what I'm like more concerned about is, okay, these were the cheaper cards that are starting to go. People are just going to be scouring through, you know, MTG Dongler or whatever site have you, and just trying to, you know, oh, this card's reserve list as cheap. All right, I'm gonna start buying these. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm a little worried for where, like, if people are gonna start doing that, mainly because those people are actually just lighting money on fire. Um, whereas, like, you know, do that it helps pay for us. We, we get, we get to get their money and then buy the cards back from them in eight uh, months. Right, but like I think long term that's not healthy for a game. Like, is a you know a five dollar mox diamond healthier for a game? Probably not. But no one would bat eye if mox diamond weren't you know 
$150 two weeks ago. Like, um, but people trying to get like some of these higher prices to stick, like I would just, I would just, I would just avoid, I just be kind of cautious of what's going on right now. There's way better places you can spend your money than trying to buy out some of these cards, hoping that you can make a quick buck when everyone just kind of jumps on the panic train. All right, Travis, what do you think is the biggest trap in buying a magic card right now? Uh, I mean, the answer is basically always going to be standard cards, right? Because <clears throat> uh, we know that they just lose money and value. And um, other than that, everything else feels mostly fine. The thing is, this is kind of a tricky question for me to answer because I don't deal with players on a daily basis. So Ed and Jeremy can hang out in the store and see what people are buying and be like, you guys are idiots. Why would you ever spend money on this? Whereas I don't really notice it because I don't interact with those people on a daily basis. Um, so I'm sure there are people buying cards with the intent of them going up in price. And I would call them, say that those are very bad choices, but I don't know of them. Um, so what I can think of is standard cards, uh, especially Dominari just coming out. People out there are going to feel like they're the next, you know, they can call the next one. Oh, I've got this one figured out. I know what the card is from this set that's going to spike. Uh, and they're probably wrong and they're going to eat it when they spend, you know, $7 a copy on that white walking crusade uh and then when that card never gets more than a dollar fifty they're gonna feel bad uh, because they just miss completely that said i don't think all of dominari is a terrible choice i just think that like the most likely place people can be buying cards uh and getting it wrong is dominaria you know ed's gonna probably tilt on this answer i think the biggest mistake with your money is buying foreign foils from master sets instead of the original printing um because like even though the multiplier is way less especially like foil japanese masters cards uh it just doesn't seem like a good use of your money and that's coming from someone who buys foil russian cards um uh, it just seems like the roi as well as just like buying japanese non-foil is just not a good idea like i I'm seeing the foil Japanese market, especially with arbitrage, like correct. And we've talked about this before, but like there's a lot more people that live in Japan or have access to Japanese cards that can get cards over here versus like in the quote unquote good old days, you could just fly over and make a killing. Um, so like there's Facebook thread after Facebook thread of people just selling Japanese cards or foil Japanese cards. And it just doesn't seem like a good place to put your money foil foreign in general that is i just really don't like foreign cards they're so hard to sell yeah i mean i recently sold some foil russian cards that it appreciated pretty well and it took forever to find a buyer i've come around on them a little bit uh i know i had like a st big stack of foil oh should i have a token in here is uh, it restore balance no i know i haven't sold any of those a big stack of um, non-foil chromatic lanterns that were Japanese. and Those are easy. Yeah, but I mean, stuff like that, like EDH non-foil foreign cards yeah. I, were, are not easy to sell. Um, and I remember writing about how hard they were to move after my trip to Japan, but they're not as hard, I guess, as they used to be. Um, you just have to expect that you get to charge 10 or 15% less. And if you accept that and it's still work and your margins still work, then they they do move. So they're not as bad as I used to think they are.
but that's just like EDH staple Japanese cards, uh, like Rustic Studies would work. Although I don't know if that was printed in Japanese, it might just be Korean. If you're talking like foil Japanese Monastery Swift Sphere or you know whatever card, that's a whole other ballpark. I don't know about that. Yeah, I'm specifically talking about foil Japanese stuff that isn't EDH because I when I fly to Japan, I pick up those Japanese Cyclonic Rifts and I pick up the Japanese Chromatics. Uh, lanterns and like the the soul rings oh god the amount of japanese soul rings um that's like bread and butter for a lot of casual players because they know what the card does and they're fine with it uh but specifically like foil utopia sprawl or like foil japanese blood braid elf i just don't think that's a good place to put your money yeah i'm gonna completely agree with you there uh those types of cards i think are the hardest to move and you're like oh this guy's got a place out of foil japanese blood raid elves like that's really cool and it's like yeah I, I guess so but like i don't see any demand for those types of cards like i have i have plenty of assorted japanese foil like non-edh type cards and even edh cards that don't move because they're like People don't really care that much. Like you got to find the one guy who actually wants Japanese foil riptide director and also be the only one who has cards to sell him. Somebody else could have the same cards. So that's not where I want to be. Ed, what do you think about all this? Uh, so my defense, like I buy these cards. I, for one, get better prices than most. So I have that kind of luxury. Um, I'm willing to trim my margins on them as well for obvious reasons. Like I think gone are the days where you can just expect you know, your Japanese foil to be, you know, like 300% more than English foil. Um, those days are long gone. Um, a lot of people still kind of seem to be wanting to hold on to that. Um, and I think those are people who are selling Japanese foils wrong. Um, I try and be, you know, very, pretty aggressive with my prices more often than not, like for master sets, because they're so, you know, the foil, the multiplier is already very low. Like I most of the time will have them, <laughs> like less than what people actually sell English foils for. Um, and I realize they're not for everyone. I'm not expecting to blow through these. Uh, I buy them cheap enough that I'm fine if I sit on them for a while, but um, they don't have to go fast. And there's, and in terms of the people who buy them, most people who do buy them aren't necessarily looking for an investment or for money. It's just simply a cheaper alternative to cards, which is the target of master's, uh, like Master 25, Master type sets, because it's for people who want, you know, cheaper cards because they couldn't afford the original or they weren't around then. Um, so having like a, a reasonable alternative to like a cheap foil, that's kind of where it's at. And that's generally why the foils I tend to target are cheaper ones. Um, some of the ones I've actually like held on longer, mainly because I've kind of been lazy about trying to get rid of them, are kind of the mid tier to expensive mythic such uh rare foils like i've had this set of like grove of the japanese foil grove of the burnwells on my desks uh from masters for the longest time and i have it priced at less than um than english foils but again i'm in like no real rush to get rid of them i paid a reasonable price on them um but like those are types of ones that i have a hard time getting rid of and the ones i also generally tend to target are uh ones like i have a, like a lot of popper foils like i have a stack of full japanese relentless rats on my desk that, that's not a popper card i'm aware um but like arbor elf like a lot of like the less than ten dollar foils um i've had no trouble selling those at all mainly because people do want them for you know it's cheap whatever they'll throw like you know five to ten dollars away at a foil that's a little different a little cool so like would like do i expect people to invest in them absolutely not but it's just one of those things where they move reasonably well 
my margins are decent on them. They're way less good than they were a few years ago before, you know, every card got reprinted as a Japanese foil, but there are buyers out there. You just have to be a little patient. Well, thank you for your awesome expert advice, Ed. Now, Jim, where is, what is Alvin receiving for asking a question this week and how can other people ask questions next week? Uh, thanks for asking, Jeremy. Alvin, you can contact me on the Cartel Aristocrats Facebook page or Twitter account, and I will give you a $25 gift certificate for our sponsor, CoolStuffInc.com. If anyone would like to try to win the $25 gift certificate next week for CoolStuffInc.com, you can leave a comment, or leave a question, I should say, on the uh, GatheringMagic.com page that our cast goes up on usually the day after it is live, which is usually to means it'll go up on Tuesday. And if your question gets chosen, uh, you can also win a $25 gift certificate to coolstuffing.com. All right, so let's move into pick of the week. Ed, you uh, knocked it out of the park last week with Lyra Dawnbringer. What do you got for us this week? Uh, I feel like I'm either... Uh, I almost don't want to do this, but... Mox Opal is my pick this week. Um, it's already expensive. Yes, I know it's like $100. I'm not saying invest in Mox Opals. Do not fill your portfolio up with Mox Opals. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying this for the listeners who are on the fence about trying to build like Affinity, Lantern, you know, any sort of these Mox Opal based decks. I would buy them sooner rather than later. The uncertainty is that we don't have a reprint set in sight. The last time they did two reprint sets in one year, last year, with Iconic in the fall and Masters, uh, or Mar Masters 2017 in the spring, it kind of came back to bite them with the timing of it. Uh, I'm not sure how far we are from the next We are from the next announcement day when they would announce another Masters set if it were to come. Uh, someone out there will have to help me on this, but um, Affinity does have a very favorable humans matchup, Was it, and if you kind of follow the Star City... Um, if you're watching Star Wars the weekend, mas- uh, Masters humans made up about like some ridiculous number. Like, I think it's like 35 or 40 percent of the day two meta um, team t- of the teams out there. Day two that made day two, 40 percent of them, 35 percent were playing humans. Affinity has a good matchup against that. Box Opal is rapidly becoming the uh, the barrier. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't pick Arcbound Avenger, even though it's much cheaper. Um, it goes in fewer decks, whereas Mox Opal is just kind of that catch-all. Uh, supply is getting really, really low on it, mainly because people who have them, no matter how high your buy price is, people just aren't selling them. Uh, mainly because it's very, very hard to replace. Most people who have Affinity decks, they generally aren't willing to sell out of them because Affinities, for whatever reason, they seem to have a very loyal player base. An affinity people, for it. I enjoyed that pun. Travis Travis has been taking jewelry pills today. I okay. Um but yeah, like if you if you don't have one, you were thinking about buying a Fandy, it's kinda getting to a point where I, I would I would buy it. It's one of those cards, it's just so good. Even if it does see a reprint, it went down. But you know, how long did it stay cheap? It took some time, but it just slowly crept up ever since it was printed Masters 2015. Um, it's like a hundred dollars now, like $400 is, I understand a lot for some people to drop on a play set of cards, but if you do plan on playing Affinity, Affinity will never get banned in my mind. Um, it'll just be one of those modern decks where you can basically play until 
you know, modern dies or something. But Affinity has never been a bad deck. There's been times when it's not been a favorable choice. But, like, when Affinity looks good, like, it's really good. And Mox Opal is kind of what feeds that. And Mox Opal has made its way into other decks as well, including uh, Clark Clan Ironworks. That was probably the most uh, recent contributing factor as to why Mox Opal went up. So there's, if you're looking to get into one of these decks, like, you know, Mox Opal kind of, like, I would suggest buying it sooner rather than later. I know a lot of people seem to want to put off buying the most expensive card first, but th in this case, I would suggest you buy the Mox Opals first and like slowly try and find better deals on the other ones, mainly because finding uh, good deals on Mox Opal is pretty hard. It's really hard to find them at a discounted price, and there usually aren't a ton in stock across the board. Travis? Uh, well, I think Ed's point is very fair um, about Mox Opals. I, I don't... I don't know if I have any left, uh, and I don't know what the, what did, did you say what the price was at the moment? It's like a hundred dollars for them, I think. That's pretty rough, but I mean, you're probably right that you're supposed to buy them right now. Um, I'm gonna go in a completely different direction. Dominaria just came out. Ton of new legendary creatures, a lot of new commander decks that always gets people's blood flowing. Uh, and one of the most popular is Joda, Archmage Eternal. He is Fist of the Suns on a creature. Um, so he's got a cool effect. People are going to enjoy it. You get to just slam any huge, ridiculous spell into that deck, uh, and play it. Um, which obviously each players are going to enjoy, but he's fist of the suns on a stick. And when your commander's not in play, what do you wish you had? If you're playing fist of the suns commander, Fist of the suns, uh, foil fist of the suns, which only has one printing currently about 12 13 dollars supplies real low i can see these sitting 25 30 bucks based on joda demand because not a single joda deck should exist that doesn't have this card um you could also go non-foils uh there are a lot more of those uh looks like about 450 vendors for non-foils uh on tcg right now although the prices get up to like four dollars pretty quick there was also a commander 2017 printing but there's not a million copies of those either so a little you could probably work with that if you can get them at a you know two bucks but uh, i think the foils if you can catch them under 15 are, are probably going to give you a return i think this week is actually also another commander card uh this one's from masters 25 though I think the Coalition Relic at this point is at the lowest it'll ever be. Um, you it's a have got to be kidding me. Yeah, get... get yeah, oh exactly. my god. I pulled up four websites worth of BIOS data for this week. Uh, I was about to say, I bought like, I don't know, like 10 Coalition Relics when they were like $4 because it's a card that is a lot like Gilded Lotus and Soul Ring. It just goes into every deck basically. Uh, previously, Coalition Relics were prohibitively expensive because they just were not a lot of them. It was in, I think, Planner Chaos and the Invasion versus Phyrexia Dual Deck, I think, is the other printing. Future Sight. Or, sorry, Future Sight, not Planner Chaos. Whatever. Same, same, same idea. Um, but basically, all of the stuff from Masters 25 is going to start to creep up. Um, you still get 5% kickback on TCG Player. When you buy these and there's not a lot of copies left under five dollars uh there are many 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 copies under five dollars when the set first came out which is why i bought a bunch but i'm i'm really under the impression that people are going to start remembering that this is a real card and it's an affordable price tag now especially with how expensive chromatic lantern is so we had 20 of these on the shelf at pre-release and i missed today and then they all sold 
that's why I was going to pick it. And I had pulled up Bilas increasing on this card. I, Jim, I love you, but I hate you, man. Well, uh, I was, I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I was just looking through some EDH cards and I was like, man, Coalition Relic's probably getting pretty expensive now. All right. Well, I'll go with a pick that I wasn't going to say because it's on the reserve list. Um, so my pick for this week is this card. I have 20 of these on my way from old school players. I did not artificially buy out the market on this. This card is uh, transmute. <laughs> I almost forgot which one it was for a second. Uh, transmute artifact is currently retailing for 125 ish up to $135 for an LP copy online right now. Over in Europe, these currently go for anywhere between 150 to 200 euros for the same condition. Um, I've had a lot of requests from European players to bring these over from America and get a way better rate than what they're going for in America. And as supply of this card dries up in the States, people are going to raise BIOS, which leads to this card spiking for like a fourth or fifth time in the last six months because this card's just been going crazy. Um, but I basically, when talking with all these old school players, I was like, I'll, we'll work out a detail on your whole collection, but like I specifically want uh, certain cards to bring over to Europe before I go to GP Birmingham that I want to be able to flip for basically guaranteed money. And that's arbitrage, so yay. Um, so yeah, that's my pick of the week since Jim stole Coalition Relic, and I'm pretty tilted. Anyway, that concludes this week's episode of Cartel Aristocrats. Before we go over where you can find us, remember Ed and I will be at GP Dallas-Fort Worth at some point this weekend. If you guys want to say hi, I will probably not be on the cast next week because I will be on a flight to England. Um, and we still need requests from our viewers on what to do for episode 100, which coincidentally will be right before GP Vegas. So we uh, we need your advice, guys, on what we what we should do for the big 100. Ed, where can people find you? Uh, at Edwin13 on Twitter. Um, I will be in Dallas this weekend. I will be in Toronto next weekend for a Pokemon regional event. I will maybe be in GP Toronto the weekend after that. Woo! Are we doing, are we chopping again for that? Travis, do you know? Chopping what? Like a room? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I was thinking about going with my wife, but it sounds like our other friends that she would go to see won't be there. So we'll have to talk about it off cast. Okay. Well, there's a 99% chance that one of the members of Cartel will be at Toronto. So, yeah. yay. I will probably, I'll probably tweet out my location where I am at GP Dallas so people can actually find me. I'm just uh, going to be following Ed around the entire time. So. You, know, you can like, see you can find Ed by looking for the shine in the sky. Yeah, Ed's the really tall one, and I'm the short bald guy, so it's real easy. Uh, Jim, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at phrost underscore. You can find me on Gathering Magic every other week, and you can find me on this podcast every week. I'm Travis Allen, Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N on Twitter. I do the MTG Fast Finance Podcast. I'm right every Monday for mtgprice.com. And I'm Jeremy. You can find me on Twitter at MissouriMTG. Luckily, school is out for the semester. So I will be at GP uh, Dallas this weekend, followed by Birmingham. 
I'll try to record the week after with these guys. Uh, then I'll be at GP Toronto, and then I'll be at GP DC. So that's my May schedule. I'm impressed um, that you've called it GP Birmingham twice, despite Ed telling us last week that it's GP yeah. Birmingham. Yep, it's Birmingham, and I'm going to say Birmingham the entire time I'm there. Step it up. It's Birmingham. GP Birmingham. It's that Missouri accent, man. Well, thanks for listening, guys. You can find us on Twitter at cartel underscore finance. You can find us on YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, gatheringmagic.com, MTGCast. Uh, That's pretty much it. We appreciate it. Say hi to us at a GP if you want to because Ed and I really appreciate it. Uh, Travis does too when he leaves his basement. And, of course, please let us know what you want us to do for episode 100 because none of us have any clue. Thanks, guys, and we'll see you next week. Bye.